two big questions this week. How do you save time in teaching? And how do you find great resources online? It's time to stop pretending and get real. On EdTech Innovators this week, we have Sunny Sharma from Spongy Elephant, who's going to be talking about great resources online. Also, we have Jane Bell, the author of Time Smart Teaching. Enjoy. Start by telling you what I can see in front of me, which is an extremely well-groomed, handsome man called Sunny Sharma from Spongy Elephant, who's had his hair cut by his wife. I really envy this because um, my hair is so ridiculous that, uh, well, everybody's in the same boat, I suppose, aren't they? But, uh, but you will be uh, the best groomed man in the neighbourhood. And secondly, he's sitting in front of a green screen, uh, which is just a green screen at the moment. But yesterday it was the, the White House, wasn't it? And the day it was before, the White House, yes. Uh, and, and also Buckingham Palace were part of it as well. So Very fitting. Really. Fantastic. Very regal. So thank you so much. Uh, there's so many things that we uh, could be talking about, but we, we want to narrow them down to things that are, that are very um, useful to the listeners. So should we start with what Spongy Elephant are doing in terms of um, trying to narrow that digital divide that is in danger of opening up if the, the way that EdTech um, remote learning is being handled is not um, as it should be? Sure. So, yeah. So, look, you know, um, uh, the platform was always always focused on ensuring that um, if people need to get access to high quality training, then, you know, they can pick that up in an instance uh, by signing up into the platform. Um, but what we've, be, what we've been able to do over the last few weeks is, is uh, apply a few tweaks that ensure that actually you can pick up uh, high quality learning content. So we've, we've moved from just teacher training into also remote learning now. So we're delivering daily activities to pupils. Um, and what's interesting there is, is that uh, with just those few tweaks that we've been able to make, uh, we're now building on the fact that, you know, typically in most homes, there is only a handful of devices. And actually by, in terms of practical devices, you know, laptops, uh, Chromebooks, those kinds of devices, a lot of homes only have one device and that's the parent device, which will be their work laptop. And of course, if they're working from home, everyone's battling for a device. So what we've been able to do is ensure that we've got this kind of equity of access, which is that we can deliver meaningful learning content uh, that's engaging, it's got uh, documents embedded like Word documents and PowerPoints, it's got video embedded inside it as well, and we can deliver that to any device. So uh, whether that's a smart TV, whether it's an Xbox or a PlayStation, uh, it could be a four-year-old Android tablet, um, it just works well on any device. And what that does is it enables a parent to release their own device uh, for a short amount of time during the day, rather than everyone trying to kind of battle for a few devices. Um, I mean, I'm quite fortunate, you know, if I look around my house, I have got a lot of devices and uh, it's because I'm a tech guy, but that isn't the case at all, I think in most homes. And a lot of what you've been doing is, is in Wales, and that's a really interesting case study for so many different reasons, isn't it? So you're based in Leicestershire, aren't you? And, uh, that's right, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so uh, why, why is Wales such an, such an interesting case study in terms of uh, remote learning and that tech yeah, in general? So, um, well, actually, I mean, like the Welsh thing has come, by, come about for a number of reasons, actually, but my co-founder, David, um, has been doing some work across in Wales as well um, around things like school improvement. And what we've been able to do is um, often when you're, when you're met with um, quite rigid platforms, uh, and there's lots of platforms out there that you can uh, pump content into, but you can't necessarily change, um, change the way it's presented. Um, so what we've been able to do is actually make a few tweaks uh, 
that now ensures that not only can a, can a really good, robust curriculum be delivered across Wales, um, but it's been, uh, the activities have been created by teachers. So in, um, in parts of Wales, um, they've gone down a particular approach where they've closed lots of their schools, left a school open in a cluster, and then pupils are going to those schools and teachers are sharing their responsibilities in the schools that might not actually be their normal school. So what we've been able to do is work with these challenge advisors across some of the local authorities to pick out these champions who are now uh, creating this fantastic content that's going out daily to pupils on our platform. Mm. Um, but what's also great about this is that we've been able to, um, to um, ensure that it's delivering a bilingual curriculum. So mm. when you look at Spongy Elephant from the Welsh perspective, actually you wouldn't be able to tell that it wasn't designed for a Welsh market. Um, and because, you know, because we've always built the platform to, to kind of flex around the audience and around the requirements of the people that we work with, what we've got is the ability to ensure that, you know, over the next 12 weeks or three months or four months or whatever it is, that there is um, there's no movement away from the kind of Welsh uh, vision, which is around ensuring that there's a bilingual curriculum available for students. Um, and that, you know, that also includes things like teachers recording themselves, reading stories and books and introducing topics in Welsh um, using tools like Screencastify, uh, which is a brilliant tool um, that, you know, gets everyone doing this kind of stuff. I love Screencastify, really do. It's, it's, just, it's just so easy, isn't it, really? But, so let's, let's geek out for a second, if that's okay with you. So it, I just love the way that you can just create this video, send a link, and it, there's no issue at all with, with uh, things like clogging up people's inbox. You know, just send Absolutely. a link and they can watch it. So easy Absolutely. to use. Yeah. Mm, great. So uh, I'd, I'd like, I don't know if you've got an answer to this, so I wouldn't necessarily expect one, but wouldn't it be nice if that level of inclusion, that ease of inclusion, could be rolled out, could be replicated in England as well and, and Scotland and Northern Ireland. Um, mm. Absolutely. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, actually, I do have an answer to it, yeah, which is, uh, yeah, jump onto our platform. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, I think what's really important here is, um, is that what we haven't, what we haven't done um, is just go off and go, well, actually, there's lots of really good stuff happening. And, actually, I think what's happened in the last, last three or four weeks is that, you know, the EdTech community has come together and gone, Hold fire, you know, we've got some amazing stuff that you can do. Um, and, um, and I think what the EdTech community has done has been, has been absolutely fantastic. And I mean, as a kind of EdTech evangelist and also somebody who has an EdTech product, um, I think that's been fantastic. Um, and if you look at, for example, the DFEE put their list out, didn't they? That kind of list of um, uh, good resources uh, online uh, and things like that. My, my biggest challenge with that is Often, when somebody's presented with something that has, you know, 5,000 pages of links that go to links that go to websites that you're unsure about whether you sign up and whether it becomes free or paid later, that for me can be quite confusing from both a teacher perspective but also a parent perspective. Mm. Um, so, like a lot of what what we've also been doing, you know, I, I mean, I've taken a decade's worth of, uh, you know, endless researching of good tools, um, really similar to you actually in terms of, you know, finding really good tools that in just a few clicks can transform learning and put them all onto one page um and like a big part of the reason why we've been able to uh, move in the way we have inside uh, these local authorities in wales is because i've got access to this kind of you know wealth of being able to dip into resources and things like that so we've been really quite vocal and said you know don't make every outcome of a lesson a powerpoint or a presentation you know don't make it a document um you know, let's think about what kids can do 
using all of these amazing tools. Um, and that includes things like Screencastify, where they can record themselves doing an activity at home. But it also includes, you know, like what, there's so many tools for creating, uh, creating storyboards, uh, exploring the world through things like, um, you know, Google Earth and 360 Cities, all of the coding stuff that you can do online. Um, I came across uh, Google's um, Arts and Culture website, which actually I've not really bumped into before at all. And it's phenomenal. You know, you can take these virtual tours through the insides of museums and look at, you know, the Mona Lisa and like famous paintings more close up than you could ever see in a museum. So, um, so I've been sharing all of these, um, all of these things with, um, with schools as well. So, but yeah, I think it'd be fantastic if, um, if we didn't get too bogged down with, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And everyone was just like, yep, you know, just jump in um, and pick up the resources and go with them because it's about ensuring that every child has got access to resources if they need it. Um, yeah, and that and doesn't undermine schools. Yeah, yeah and these resources are engaging, uh, of course, and that's just so crucial because uh, there are, there may be uh, some schools who uh, are bombarding the, the, the parents and the kids with uh, lots of PowerPoints that are quite dull and things that aren't that, that engaging. Uh, with the, that, that may be the case, <laughs> but um, it's really you know, it's crucial that you're focusing on those uh, engaging resources and immersive resources yeah. as well, like these uh, Google um, the, the virtual tours and, and so on. Um, just This isn't just a geek out question, but, but I think it, 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 it's a useful uh, in terms of identifying the line of travel. But um, what pages are getting the most traffic on your website? So, um, so we, we've got significantly increased traffic on the website, which is brilliant. We've had to recently expand um, uh, our kind of AWS setup uh, to ensure that we can accommodate that. Um, but the page that gets the most amount of traffic, bizarrely enough, is the people homepage. So if you head across the Spongy Elephant, click on the people homepage, it will take you to a collection of some of the best kind of online resources, um, which is actually what I use as a basis for uh, huge amounts of teacher engagement around creating uh, good resources, but also um, I run a Facebook group, um, Daily Digital Workouts, and that's what I use as a starting point. And it just goes, look, go to this page, click on this icon, and we're in. Mm. Um, and actually, that page gets a significant amount of traffic now. Um, I think at last count, we're looking at around forty to 50,000 hits per week. Mm. Um, and what's interesting is that that is a global audience. Because um, over the last few years, while I've been supporting the books and iPads, uh, we've been setting up that landing page as the home page on Chromebooks and also as icons on iPads. Because mm. um, of all the challenges of getting applications, you know, um, when people use iPads, one of the biggest challenges in schools is downloading apps. Mm. And when you get Chromebooks, one of the biggest challenges I think is downloading, um, is getting, getting beyond the native Google apps. Um, so, so I think that's quite important as well. Um, mm. I'm just gonna have to turn off the background. I don't know if you can hear some noises there, but there we go. Okay. Um, so yeah. So, so in terms of the how this works, uh, would you imagine that a lot of the traffic is coming, it's parents who are on the Facebook group and they're directed from the Facebook group onto that specific page, the people homepage? Um, yeah, so, um, so uh, it, well, well actually it's happening for a number of reasons. So the first one is uh, obviously the Facebook group, um, which is growing daily. Um, the other one is that we've put a link to it at, at the bottom of every single activity that's gone out as part of this Welsh curriculum. So, um, so right now we're at about 200 activities strong in just, mm. uh, just two weeks. Um, and there's about 120 bilingual activities going out every single week. And at the bottom of every single activity, it says, look, now that you've done this, 
if you're interested in you know doing some other interesting stuff you know don't let the uh, the kind of virtual curriculum and schedule stop you you know here are some great tools get your kids in start exploring the world in different ways or do some coding activities or you know read a book or something mm. uh, online um, so actually by placing it into these kind of strategic uh, uh, been quite important um, also just before schools closed I was working with a number of trusts on um, on creating their virtual schools and one big part of that was ensuring that um, when it all starts to get a bit too stressful and when you know people are running out of ideas um, you've got the ability to just point kids to spaces where they can actually learn quite independently Mm, so good i mean it's really nice to catch up with you as well it's always nice to catch up with you but obviously the world was uh, totally different when i spoke to you a couple of months ago um what what do you think has changed in in you the way that you work fundamentally well actually i've i've been quite fortunate or unfortunate i suppose actually to be working from home for the last 10 years um so i've always been used to working um working quite remotely um, and being able to just do everything i need to do from this office i mean so you can see a green screen behind me uh, but what that ensures is that i'm able to just position myself anyway but also to be able to create content on the fly and things like that as well um i mean i think what's changed i mean so in terms of trying to answer that question, actually, I think if I think about what I hope will stick moving forwards, um, so I don't think ever again we'll be in a situation where, well, I, I mean, I genuinely hope this doesn't happen, but you know, um, that, that, that teachers now appreciate that they can set homework online. And actually that homework can be assessed and marked online. And this whole piece around, well, we don't know if students have got devices at home, um, you know, will they be able to do the homework? Does the internet work? I think, I think we've solved that problem. I think everyone's got access to the internet. If they haven't got access to the internet, they can get it over their phones, over 3G or 4G or even 5G. Um, and one thing I think will be saved is the amount of paper that has been used to photocopy homework assignments and stuff. So I think that would be one of the biggest changes for me. I don't think schools will go virtual um, in the way they are right now. Um, but I think it'd be fantastic to think about some of the stuff that we've spoken about in the past. You know, um, about 10 years ago, when I was, um, when I was working at Genogsley City Academy, uh, we were talking about whether we would disrupt the school day. Um, and mainly for year 11, because, you know, they're just too tired, they're staying up later. You know, why don't we start the day at 12 o'clock for those students, rather than start it at half past eight? Um, and part of that was around the idea that, well, you know, they're, they're just not, that it's not awake enough to be able to interact in a meaningful way. So what we can do is we can start it later, keep them a little bit, um, a bit later and kind of stagger the day. Um, but also there's an opportunity to offer virtual learning to those students. So actually they can learn in the kind of confines of their home before they come into school. So I'm, I'm really hoping we'll start to see some of this uh, innovation in education around particular things like timetabling. You know, what, this, what the last three or four weeks have proven is that we're able to not drag two, you know, 2,000 kids into a physical building at the same time each day, staggered around a one hour, one hour timetable at secondary. Um, so I think, I think that'd be great to change actually. Um, I think what's also fantastic is that this now proves that, that we do not need to drag everyone into trains and buses and cars, into workplaces at the same time, because um, I would say even some of the biggest dinosaurs I've ever come across in terms of tech, um, you know, the, the kind of biggest tech phobes are doing what we're doing right now. You know, they are Zooming, they're having conversations, uh, their well-being is better. You know, they're feeling more kind of, you know, I'm, I'm at home at five, five o'clock. You know, this is, this is amazing. 
So I think, um, so I think some really good things that are going to come out of this, but I think what we've got to do is put that pressure on. I think employees need to put that pressure on to say, we do not need to be physically in the same workplace every single day. Um, mm. And I also think training will change forever, actually. I mean, I've been pushing this for years, you know, the idea of not having to confine people in a space, at, you know, at, at 3.30 for two hours on a Monday to train on something when we all know that they could go home and do it in a way that, we've, that we're doing, uh, doing over the last three weeks. So, so I think there'll be some big changes. I hope well, wouldn't it be nice if, if training was, was not about compliance and, and top-down messages? So yeah. obviously, you know, there, there has been uh, there have been elements of that in, in some CPD uh, over the years. Um, it'd be lovely if that culture changed um, beyond recognition, wouldn't it? And and also, yeah, as you were saying before, like the, the, most of us live in outside city centres, of course, and and you have to battle your way into work through the school run a lot of the time, and it's just so dangerous, yeah. isn't it? For not not just for the, for the kids, but for everybody. So um, and right. people. Very often people are battling their way through the traffic to get to an office which they could yep. use at home in exactly the same in exactly the same way and you know i think um you know um i just think about um, some members of my family actually who kind of work in london you know and they they do like a standard nine to five job but actually that is a seven to seven job um so it's leaving seven in the morning getting back at seven in the night and you know they've not had the opportunity to school they've not had the opportunity to pick the kids up from school parents evenings have been a challenge and what this really suggests is that, um, is that the flexibility should create for people to work from home. And also I think over the last three or four weeks, people have had to become quite disciplined around what working from home is about. And yeah. um, I come into this office space, so I'm quite fortunate to have an office space at home. But you know, th there's been days over the last, um, the last three or four weeks where I've come into this space myself in for nine hours, only coming out for a cup of tea or a bit of a kind of stretch. Um, because that's the only way I genuinely work. Otherwise, I could be sat in it for 15 hours a day. Um, so, so I think people are beginning to get those skills that they need to be able to discipline themselves. And I think, actually, people are more productive at home. They can do a good five hours that feels like nine hours at work. Um, so, yeah. so I'm hoping things change dramatically. My worry is they won't change dramatically enough because we'll just fall back into the ocean. Yeah, there is that, isn't it? Because psychologically, it'll just be lovely to get back to normal for so many people. So it, even just the, the very active, you know, going back into school and seeing your friends and going back into the workplace and seeing your colleagues, that social element is so important, isn't it? But, but it, is. it, wouldn't, it would be nice if it became a bit more flexible so that it wasn't like the nine to five for everybody or one yeah. for everybody, for people in office jobs and, and so on. Um, yeah. Brilliant. So it's always wonderful to catch up with you, Sonny, and uh, good luck with everything that you're doing. It sounds like it's going really well, and it, it's just really nice that you're responding to the challenges. Uh, I think I think the hair helps, to be honest, but uh, <laughs> and the green screen. But uh, but thank you so much, and we'll be back in touch soon. So I shall st I shall press stop record and have a very quick chat with you. Um, after that, take care. Always good to chat. Always good to chat. Thanks a lot for coming. I have with me the teacher and author of the book, Time Smart Teaching and Insider Tips to Reduce Teacher Workload that Schools Don't Tell You. Uh, Jane Bell is here with us and she's going to be talking to us about many things, of course, one of them being the book, another being education and obviously this uh, rather sticky situation that we're in at the moment with COVID-19 and lockdown and everything else. So welcome, Jane. Hi, thanks for having me, Pete. Good morning. Good morning to you nice as to well. 
it's an absolute pleasure to have, to have you here. So what would you like to start with? Do you want to start with your day-to-day -day existence and how you're coping with that? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I've, I've said this before, but I, I'm in a relatively fortunate position that because I'm normally supply teaching at the moment, I'm not having to kind of run the gauntlet or that, that balancing act between, you know, teaching classes online and homeschooling my daughter. Um, and keeping up with all of the stuff at home. So I'm, I'm trying to put my efforts into supporting others a little bit more, making resources for them, because I do, I know how difficult it is to try and have that balance in act. Um, and just trying to support people doing that really. Resources, um, geography themed resources for, for students, kind of, you know, that key stage three, that lower down school age. And I've been putting those online on, on social media platforms, um, groups set up for kind of teaching in, during COVID-19. And so, the, for example, I've just done one on like 12 ways you can um, get your student to learn about geography at home, around and about where you live. Um, and I've deliberately kind of designed them so they're not going to be need to be sat at a computer. Um, it's something that you can literally just go and do and get on independently so that, you know, if you've got a a you know, working parent at home or a teacher at home has got to do other things the child can kind of like go, go and do that task relatively independently rather than having to do something too too prescriptive uh, and too structured and um, so that's been well received and that's been downloaded quite a few times and I'm working on a a, a bee ecosystem um, project as well um, because obviously we know bees are important and the bee population is declining so yeah, I think I'm in a fortunate position, but I know that other people are struggling. And so I'm just doing what I kind of can to help in that sense at the moment. Mm. So there's a lot of positives there, aren't there? The, the, the way that we're using technology to help children learn is very much linked to the sound pedagogy, effective teaching methods, as opposed to just giving them stuff, you know, just information and so on. So that, that's got to be a positive, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that so many places are giving their resources for free which is fantastic so you know parents are not having to dig into their pocket to provide resources um, and they can just go and download stuff from wherever they want twin call tests on all these places and making their resources free which is great and i do think technology can be a fantastic tool for teaching if, it, if it's done in, if it's intuitive and the kids already knows how to use it so like we do loads of times tables rock stars in our house um, which any parent of a primary school child will probably know. Um, she can just literally, she can set, sit and get on with that. It doesn't need my input and I can get on with, with doing any little bits and bobs that I need to do. So I, I do think technology providers have really upped the game. And I do think schools have done remarkably well in the situation to shift the whole of the learning and the curriculum, you know, online in such a short amount of time. I think that's a massive, massive beat. Um, and I do, did actually work in IT about a decade ago um, and I know it's not all straightforward behind the scenes so I think yeah well done to, to all, all involved on that score. Yeah of course and, and part of me thinks that or part of me fears that because everybody's putting their content online for free so the ad tech providers the um, you know people like you who are generating their own um, slightly niche resources is that a fair thing to say um, and also the schools themselves and the colleges and universities 
there's a danger of being overwhelmed, isn't there? That because there's so much content out there that parents and kids are going to see it as a bit like this kind of, uh, well, just like the internet, very you know, impossible to navigate unless you know how. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to become overwhelmed, especially if you're not following a set curriculum. Um, but I do think, I think basically as long as you can get your hands on something that is going to keep your child entertained and is going to appeal to them, that that is really the main thing because i think there is you know, there's a chance of, of students becoming disengaged with the learning at this point especially i'd say older students i think like you know those in the gcse years so i think the, the main thing is can they basically get hold of a resource that's going to sustain their students in their students or their child's interest mm -hmm. is the most important thing and is it going to allow them to actually you know learn something even if it's not you know necessarily the topic that they've been studying at school at this point in time and um, and i've started to change the way i design resources now as well so i'm putting on things that are, that are more general that are based around getting students outdoors into the garden up the road where they live um, and i'm i'm basically making sure that i'm i'm kind of promoting the resources that are allowing that independent learning but there is an awful awful lot of stuff out there if I was a teacher out there now, I would be downloading everything I could get my hands on um, for my classes before I had to pay for it. But that, that's just me. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be thinking ahead to the future. Can, can you ask these kids to not come anywhere near me when I go for my daily walk as well? <laughs> I, I mean, I could, I could do. I mean, getting them out the door for a walk, I think, is a challenge in itself, though. <laughs> it is in my house. I have to like virtually like push my daughter out the door. You know, yeah. come on, we're going on the bike, and we did, you know, we did a little field trip, um, just before lockdown, and we went to the sand dunes at one of our beaches in the Wirral. And I think you just have to make, if you can, make anything into a learning opportunity. You know, if if you've got an education background, and I think a lot of teachers can do that. They can turn any kind of like little adventure or walk in, into a learning opportunity. I think we do that quite well. Yeah. But that doesn't come as e that doesn't come as easily to parents and carers for sure. Absolutely, yeah, and, and, and so much learning is experiential at the moment, isn't it, I think, and, and fair place to you for taking them to um, the sand dunes as a learning uh, you know, experience. So let's move on to, to your Yeah, book. well, I'm a big believer in field work, field work. Mm, yes. yes. The book has been out since just after Christmas, and it was really well received. So initially I made it, um, free for like the first few days because I just wanted to get it into lots of people's hands because I really really believe in, in the messages in the book um, and because it's it, it's titled eight insider tips to reduce workload that schools don't tell you and then this is the problem schools will teach you how to be like a perfect teacher how to be a great tutor you know how to support your colleagues in the department but teacher training really doesn't prepare you mentally I, I don't think for the demands of the job, the overwhelming demands of, of the paperwork side of things, the communication of, the, of the, the data and the reporting side. And I think that is a real lack and that is something that is missing mm -hmm. um, from training providers like PGC placements and, and in school programmes, their, you know, their, their NQT, their newly qualified teacher programmes. They don't do anything on workload management and self-care. And so I, I felt like this book was kind of putting in or putting out that, that missing link really to enhance teacher well-being and just giving them a bit of perspective. That they can't do everything perfectly all the time because they will burn out if that is what they try and do. 
Mm, absolutely. Well, I mean, I have to say that university, universities are dedicating a lot more energy now into helping um, trainees control their workload and, and promote well-being uh, amongst them. But, but of course, uh, the more they have, the better, of course. And um, so without listing these eight tips, uh, which would kind of make the book a bit pointless, wouldn't it, really? Is the one that you would like to emphasise to us? One time-saving tip. Oh, so I think what we've got now, I think I think teachers have got time to reflect. Mm. And if I think if I was going to direct them to, to one part of the book, I would direct them to the part about um, assessment. Now, everyone always like sighs when you mention assessment, don't they, in education teaching? But I think it is it's the one place where teachers can actually save themselves the most time um, from their day-to-day -day workload. And so in the book, I basically talk about how you can quite easily redesign your assessments um, so they're quicker to mark. So the, the starting point of your assessments at Key Stage 3, so lower down high school, should be, well, I need to make sure I've got an assessment that I can moderate. Basically, that means that I can make sure that all the grades are awarded fairly. But I also need to be aware that I'm going to have to mark however many hundreds of these at the end of it. Uh, you have muted. Chapter on redesigning assessment, and basically, in a nutshell, it teaches you how to use um, like a multiple choice structure for your test, but that also incorporates Bloom's taxonomy. So not just the um, the, you know, the identify and define and those lower order skills, but also how you can design that using kind of like the evaluate and drawing conclusion side of things and analyzing and sequencing. So I would direct them to that because I do think people have got time now, teachers have probably set a lot of their online content for their classes to get on with. And I think if they're smart, if they're thinking further afield about September, maybe kind of like redesigning their assessments for that first half term, maybe a seven, eight and nine, spending a few hours tweaking those to save themselves a lot of hours marking them every year on from there. So I would probably be pushing them towards that one, but they will get something from every chapter of that book mm. as well. I mean, there's learning to say no, how to be assertive. I've just um, basically talked about how we can negotiate better with, with um, you know, our staff and our expectations about how we can say, well, if you're gonna ask me to do this, I need some time back here or I need leeway on this project and it's I think teachers are just very good at saying yes all the time aren't they were people pleasers yes I'll do that yes I'll accommodate yes I'll support but I think we need to start thinking about how we can put our own little terms and conditions on that so that we're protecting ourselves and you know and our, our well-being and making sure we're not taking all our work home with us every night of the week yeah and that's um, really and what's definitely clear is that NQTs, newly qualified, newly qualified teachers, will require more support, won't they, because of the, the time spent outside the classroom during their training. Of course, there will be gaps. So this book will be, will be very welcome to them. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're when you're in your training, you're not just doing your teaching. You're you're still doing all of your university work as well. So you might be 
preparing your essays as well for your course tutor and conducting research and things like that so you've got even more demands on your time and and everyone wants to start off being a super teacher don't they when they first get into teaching they're like I'm going to do everything I'm going to design the best lessons mm. and you can easily just overwhelm yourself so I think it's about kind of like moderating your expectations about what what you can do long term and learning to get into a habit of teaching sustainably so that you can continue to be in the career you know for years or decades or however long you long you want and not get to a point where you feel so overwhelmed and burned out and disengaged with workload that you end up leaving and i think that is a massive part of why we have a teaching crisis yes absolutely burnout's an ongoing issue i think that uh, we'd like to think that we can fix but uh, but anything that helps it's, uh, it's it has to be a good thing so can I move on to the, the, the process of writing a book uh, from a personal point of view then? So I'll, I'll start by saying that when I was writing my book, I'd start every chapter and I'd, I'd get these sort of voices in my head, if not real voices, I have to say, but, but voices in my head saying, you're not going to be able to finish this chapter. Oh no, the, this book is not going to happen. You've made a fool of yourself because you've been telling people that you're writing a book and it's, it's never going to happen. And I'd, and it's really therapeutic because every, uh, it's really therapeutic because every day I'd battle through this process, the, these demons, if you like, that were that were trying to prevent me from from actually making progress. So, how was it for you? Yeah, I know where you're coming from. You're talking about this imposter syndrome, aren't you? Yeah. I'm not good enough. I I'm not a writer. I won't be able to do this. I mean, I did. I definitely did get that at the start for sure. And like I, I mentioned before. When in the earlier pages of the book, I do actually say I'm not I'm not sure whether actually I'm going to finish writing this book because I had started writing books before, but I gave myself mentally I gave myself a goal I wanted to get to forty thousand words and I thought if I can get to 30, 40 thousand words and I, I know I've written a book there and I think it was I like you I didn't write I didn't write the book from start to finish I'd start a chapter I'd leave it something else would be playing on my mind or bugging me that I'd want to talk about that day. So then I'd start a new chapter and, and write about that. So in advance, what really helped me was before I wrote the book is I wrote out all the chapter headings. Okay, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about behavior management in this part of the book. Uh, in this part of the book, I'm going to talk about what it's like being a spy teacher. And then I think that made it, in my mind, because I could visualize what, what each of the chapters was going to, talk about it made it easier for me to think I, I can actually complete this book and kind of as I got towards halfway I knew at that point I wasn't I wasn't going to stop as I approached like that that halfway that 20,000 word mark I just thought well I've, I've got this far so I've got to keep going and it's hard to stay motivated as a writer especially when you're teaching or you've got you know like self-research or education-based job it, it's it's really difficult most of my book was written between the hours of nine and 12 o'clock at night because my husband works away and I have a daughter and that was the only time that I, I could get like sit and have a bit of kind of clarity and a bit of quiet but I think it's such a rewarding process and it is such a huge accomplishment to write a book and I would recommend more teachers to go and do it more people in education should be going to write books mm -hmm. I think we we need lots more voices and we need more voice, voices away from you know just the academic side of things which mm -hmm. is great but we need kind of like a more holistic um catalogue of, of books really out there from, from teachers that are at the chalk base and, and teaching day to day and that I'd like to see more of those books come out and, and I know some of them are, are making their way out now which is fantastic.
Mm. Yeah, I mean, certainly talking of uh, internal voices, I, I, I was talking about the initial voices when I was starting to write the book and the voices, the voices that have stayed with me after having completed the book are, yeah, you can, of course you can. I don't know if you've had that positive feeling ever since you've uh, completed the book. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you the confidence to think, well, if I could do that, what, what else could I do? Could I write something else? Could I do a course? Could I write a course to complement the book? And that's one of the things that I'm thinking about doing next is not everyone wants to sit down and read a book from start to finish. Only 10% of people that start to read a book will read it all the way to the end. That's not many. Mm. Um, so it is, it, it does, it gives you a massive confidence boost. And it, I think it's a catalyst as well to make you to want to go and do other things. Definitely. And, um, like being a youtuber so are you happy to talk about that sorry pete just say that again for me yeah are you happy to talk about your youtube channel yes of course um i'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a technophobe um so <laughs> I, I i laugh and refer to myself as like the low-tech teacher in the youtube channel um the really the youtube channel sprung from the book because I wanted to get the messages out to more people. And, and I know that people are consuming this, you know, video content at, at such a high rate. Um, and also when I got to the end of the book, I, I had to stop writing. I could have written more, but I had to come to an end point and say, no, that's enough. And so I thought, well, the YouTube channel, which has got the same name, by the way, Time Smart Teaching, just to make it easier. Um, it's come from that. It's come from this kind of desire to, to relay those messages wider. And also as an outlet for me, and others to continue to put those messages across the teachers. So the same messages of how can you, you know, get your well-being right? How can you work smarter and not harder? Putting resources out there for people um, who don't, you can save themselves time and can use what I've got and adapt it. And uh, so, for example, I've just published um, something called the five-minute intervention plan, and then a lot of teachers will um, probably be aware of the five-minute lesson plan that was done by the teacher's toolkit and and so basically it's in the, it's in the theme of that and so I've been kind of like promoting all, all these other little tools out there as well and I, I would invite anyone that wants to contribute to my YouTube channel I'm, act I'm actively looking for people that want to come on and do a little guest slot if who's got anything to say about that and um, so I don't want it just to be me and my voice all the time and I'm sure you can appreciate that with your podcast, Pete. You, you know, you want different views on things. You want different people to give a different spin on things, don't you? Of course you do. Yeah, that's right. And um, and we, uh, we just give me a shout and I'm happy, I'm happy to contribute in, in any way. Um, so what, 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 what should people search for? On YouTube? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, a lot of it is to do with, with the COVID-19 situation. What I found with the YouTube channel is that a lot of people are liking the content that I'm doing around intervention. Mm. Um, intervention is a bit of a dirty word, isn't it? Um, no one really wants to be doing it, but we're told kind of we have to do it. Even though it's a bit of a grey area, should we be doing it? It's not directed time. So I've, I've tried to focus quite a bit on intervention and how you can do intervention smarter, not harder how you can do it using coaching um, in class. So basically talk about strategies of how you can do intervention that A, works, B, doesn't require you to have an extra time commitment and one that actually produces you know, desirable outcomes. So one of the best ways that I've found is to do coaching and, yeah. and basically just to sit kids down 
and speak to them after the test, get the test in front of them and ask them these five coaching questions to get them to think about how they can improve. And um, so intervention seems to be a good one. And working from home, obviously, everyone's on about that, aren't they? Remote learning. Well, that's brilliant. So thank you very much, Shane. This, this is so helpful. And hopefully after listening to this, people will just uh, go and find your YouTube channel and, of course, find your book as well. So it's been great talking to you. Um, stay around for a while and I'll have a very quick chat with you. But I'll stop recording in a sec and wish you the best of luck and say thank you again. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. That's it for EdTech Innovators this week. Please try to stay well and look after your loved ones and don't be a COVID idiot. Speak to you soon. See you later.